This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Hey, I want to thank our sponsors, Mickey Fins, Marlboro Pity Electric Co-op, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of Florence. I want to always thank our sponsors. I feel like a NASCAR driver, but, you know, it is what it is, and none of this is possible without our um, our dedicated and committed um, sponsors. You know, there's a difference in having an official responsibility and being a blowhard. I'm real good at being a blowhard. Um, I don't like official responsibilities, but but we've decided in the course of this podcast that when we have a, an opportunity to engage someone of the officialdom, we take advantage of that. Because once again, what they say has to be seriously considered. What I say can go in one ear and uh, and out the other. But uh, for entertainment purposes only is what No Stop Lights has always been about. But we had an opportunity to sit down with um, Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman and co-chair of the National Party. Um, kind of, I'm offering up a blowhard's perspective and he's willing to allow um, that and give uh, some credible official responses about the problem. And eh, that's not a problem. I mean, I guess it's a um, a dilemma that the GOP finds itself in. You got, you know, c- kind of a um, a division and then a, um, a reconciliation that will have to happen at some point in time during the 2024 election. We do that, then we go into kind of a strategy session about, um, you know, politics being about math. How do you get from here to there? Uh, 270 is the magic number in Republican presidential politics. But then you've got state uh, house races and Senate races and county council and mayoral races that matter um, a lot to, to, to a lot of people. And um, it's just kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, it's where blowhard meets the officialdom. And that will be this edition of No Stoplights. Uh, Drew McKissick, SEGOP chairman and co-chair of the National Party is with us. I'm going to ask if, if required, Drew, could you stay a little longer if we have to take a break and pay some bills? Because I, 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 I think we're going to have um, so somewhat of an extended and very serious conversation about the party that you are in charge of, not just in South Carolina, but I have a hand in at the national level. So can I, can I get advanced permission to keep you a little longer than we normally do? Well, absolutely, especially since you come down on the right side of the Van Halen. Today. There you go. See, so, so, so we're it's unanimous. David Lee Roth is was a better uh, front man than than Sammy Hagar. So, Drew, I, I want to go to something, and, and this is I mean, I, I'm going back to my political days. When, when I ran for office at the county level and then the state level, one of my strengths was backslapping. I mean, I, I was pretty good at that. The, the the thing that I struggled with was understanding policy. In other words, when voters asked me where I stood on this or that or the other, I had to understand and have developed some sort of seriousness about, you know, the the policy implications. Where do I go from? Uh, In other words, if the party thinks this is, if the agenda or the platform of the party says X, am I fully on board with that or do I differentiate uh, just a touch? I believe that this election, that that you're going to have a, a big party in, is less about policy and more about strategy. People are not as interested in the policy as they are, how do we win? I mean, I think COVID shook us to our core, and we kind of sort of feel like we got caught with our pants down a bit. We don't like it. I don't like it any more today than I did then, but I've accepted that there's a new strategy moving forward. So am I right to say this election may be less about policy, despite what we may want to be the case, 
and more about strategy. How do I get this many votes in Arizona, this many in Nevada, this many in Pennsylvania, this many in Georgia? Absolutely. I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, look, we all want to have our cake and eat it, too. Uh, And look, we come together in political parties to form a consensus about, you know, uh, at the at the core, what are we most in agreement about? Okay, this is what we want to get done. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to win in order to enact policy. Losers don't make policy. Uh, and, you know, that's something we've learned the hard way in some places. And as you point out, you know, we just went through COVID. Everything that uh, liberals, Democrats work to do uh, to us and uh, supposedly for us uh, all around the country. Uh, and, you know, we're, folks are looking at that and going, well, we definitely don't want that again. Uh, that's not the kind of attitude that we want in government. Uh, and, you know, as Ronald Reagan, you know, succinctly put it years ago, personnel is policy. The type of people you hire is the type of policies that you're going to have. Uh, you know, we can, uh, we can get caught up on how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, you know, in terms of uh, the fineries of, uh, you know, our conservative philosophy, you know, which will disagree from person to person. But if we want to be too, too purist, about things and not focusing enough on just the raw mechanics of winning an election to get our guys and gals in there, uh, then we're going to be in a bad way. And I think you're right. A lot of folks are looking around wanting to know who do we believe can win, uh, who's going to be able to you know, communicate a message that's going to resonate with people, that's going to get them to the polls so that we can win. So, Drew, if that's the truth, what what is your responsibility? What is the party apparatus's responsibility to address redefining or making our strategy better. I'll give you an example. I don't think there's anybody with an R beside their name that can win in Pennsylvania if they go into election day down three or 400,000 votes. I don't give a damn if it's Trump, DeSantis, Ronald Reagan. uh, It doesn't matter to me who it is. If we don't address, you know, those, um, that, that voting season deficit that we've, had to deal with in the past few cycles. So, so, so we know the issue. How do we strategically address the issue? Well, interesting you mentioned Pennsylvania because uh, an hour ago I did an interview with a radio station in Philadelphia, and Biden is there for the 18th time this week uh, since he became president. Uh, there's a reason why he's going to Pennsylvania this many times because, you know, his numbers are like 38% in Pennsylvania. You know, people are being bit by what they're doing and, you know, in terms of the economy, uh, especially, uh, and you're going down the list of other things. So they're worried about Pennsylvania. We have to be worried about it in terms of picking it up. And that goes back to some of those things that you just mentioned, the raw mechanics of actually getting out the vote. Uh, and, you know, that is uh, the Republican Party's domain. So when I say when we throw these terms around a lot and for a lot of folks who are listening on the radio, you know, uh, sometimes we'll we'll get upset at quote the Republican Party, and well, what's what are you talking about when you say that? Is that well, Mitch McConnell did so and so? You know, okay, well, that's not the party; that's Mitch McConnell, this elected official, or whatever it may be. You've got the state party, the county parties, the Republican National Committee, the House Committee, the Senatorial Committee, none of which, by the way, generally answer to one another, and all of which have different roles. Okay, our role, the Republican Party's role, the actual. Republican committee's role, county committee, state committee, Republican national committee, is to build the infrastructure, the political mechanics that are necessary to get out the generic Republican vote that will then benefit every Republican on the ballot that we nominate. Uh, Nobody else is equipped legally and in a lot of other ways to do that job as much as the party is, the party committees. So it's kind of like, you know, when I first got elected to this job as state party chairman back in 17, one of the things that I, you know, just made a, 
uh, a goal of, and he wrote this down among uh, some other things, is, you know, not to be in a position that, you know, five years from now I have someone come to me and ask me why I didn't do somebody else's job. You know, they're going to want to know why I didn't do my job. So what is my job? Define that. i got to, uh, number one, I have to help put out a message that resonates with people, that will bring people to the polls for our candidates, our party. Number two, I've got to put together that infrastructure, identify the people, the personnel, the volunteers, the candidates, get them trained, et cetera. And then number three, I've got to raise the money to make number one and number two possible. That's it. That is the party's job. The messaging relies on the candidates for a lot of reasons. And one, you know, each candidate does have their own message and, you know, communicated in many places in a unique way. Uh, but, you know, also beyond just the, the having their own message itself, campaigns are uniquely positioned legally to communicate the message cheaper than the party. So, you know, as a former candidate, a candidate gets what's known as the lowest, you know, unit rate in advertising. A candidate can put an ad on TV, I think, about 40% cheaper than the party can. So when it comes to using your dollars wisely in a campaign, the candidates are better positioned to get their message out. The parties are better positioned legally to get the vote out. And that's where we have to focus. And you don't show favorite over one candidate or another but what do you do when someone like, and I'll use this as an example, you and I both know that Tim Scott's notoriety is good for the party. Vivek Ramaswamy is good for the party. How do you address knowing clearly and succinctly, hey, this guy really expands our horizon. He makes us a more marketable product, but it's not my job, uh, you know, kind of put him on a pedestal at the expense of another candidate. Well, look, and you're going to have uh, people, you know, on one side or the other that will want you to or want you not to do exactly what you just described. And you have to, you know, not listen to those people because you have to understand it's not your job. You've got to focus on the things that I just described. You know, the, the campaigns, and I would say especially presidential campaigns, I've been through a number of them, the primaries that we have here, you know, in South Carolina. Uh, first one that I went through was in 88. Okay, uh, and you know, going first one that we ever had here in South Carolina was 1980, uh, and they're they're sort of like you know uh, uh, tornadoes that come through a trailer park. You know, I mean, they cause a lot of devastation, and then they're gone. Yeah, they get a lot of people tossed up in the air and mad at one another about who they support and who they don't support, but then they are gone, and we still have to live here, as it were, in the wreckage. You know, if we let it cause too much wreckage, if we let you know the campaigns get us mad at one another about who we did or didn't support because we've still got to work together to elect a sheriff, county council members, school board members, and all that other happy stuff. Uh, so we have to be careful not to let the campaigns get us divided from one another because at the end of the day, we've got to come back together and do the job of turning out the vote. And you would agree that, that right now one of our big issues, and this is where I really want to delve into, right now one of our big issues, and we've we've had about a week's worth of radio, and this has been a pretty consistent topic as we've discussed this, and, and I think we touched on it last week, but but that there's an element in our party that will vote for one man and only one man. There's an element in our party that will not vote for that man under any circumstance or condition. And I've tried to convince others, and you do this better than I, look, we're not enemies. We're not mortal foes. Um, the DeSantis voter has a lot more in common with the Trump voter. The Haley voter has a lot more in common with the Ramaswamy voter than they do uh, you know, the Biden voter or the Biden administration or the Biden agenda. Absolutely. So, so, so how do, how do we, I mean, in other words, we, it's, it's up to us. You just said it. The political party doesn't belong to Drew McKissick. It doesn't belong to Donald Trump. It belongs to all of us who call ourselves Republicans. 
but but don't 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 you have somewhat of a responsibility and an obligation to initiate that conversation to try and not heal that divide, but 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 help us reconcile after the primary that that ultimately we're we're here to beat Democrats. Yeah, well, so you know, one of the things that you'll see the party do in many uh, many occasions, many places around the country, especially states that have late primaries. You know, some states out there that have primaries in September, for God's sake, which I think is insane. Ours is in June uh, for our regular statewide offices. Um, you know, but our national convention when it comes to the presidential campaign and so forth will be in July of next year. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it does fall on the party, you know, locally for local races, state level, and the national level, to try to put the thing back together after the primaries are over, you know, to put it, you know, succinctly. Uh, I mean, you know, because, again, you know, division is not the pathway to success. You know, good politics is about addition and multiplication, not division and subtraction. Uh, yes, there are a lot of folks who will vote for one candidate only, a lot of folks who won't vote for a particular candidate. Uh, and you know, in this race and in many other races. Uh, but as you point out, at the end of the day, they have infinitely more in common with one another and any of our candidates and anything that the Democrats would ever put up. And then so our job at that point is to put the focus on the Democrats. This is what they want to do. The only way you stop them from doing what they want to do is you stop them from getting in office. And that is not, by the way, staying home. Uh, I doubt any of those people you just described are going to vote for Democrats. You know, the question is, do they turn back out and vote? And you've got to emphasize to them how important it is that they turn out and vote. Because the one thing that you're basically guaranteed in life is if you don't participate in the political process, you're guaranteed not to like the result. And that's the message we have to get out. Very well explained. Can you hang around a few more moments? I want to take a break, pay some bills. But I I want to walk you through a hypothetical scenario and and get your high degree of expertise that we ferry uh, our listeners very seldom get on this this feeble. We're in a smoke-filled room somewhere. We're, we're, um, I mean, we're making the plan to win the presidency. Um, I'm the antagonist. You're the official. I'm the guy that says, Drew, I'll tell you what we need to do, man. We need to do, uh, don't, don't pay attention to anybody. This is what we need to do. So, so I've done the math. And Trump was at 232 in the Electoral College. With the, with the new census, he would be at 235. We've had a shift of, of votes here and there. So Trump's at 235. I, I'm of the opinion, and I want you to kind of take us behind the scene about how some of these decisions, I mean, you don't make this call, but obviously it's important in your world. So if Trump were to pick someone like a Brian Kemp and put Georgia back in the Republican Party's category, he goes from 230 to 235 because of the, you know, the reallocation of, of votes, and that gets him to 251. Drew, if, if, if Kemp's on the ticket or if Kemp's involved in some active way, doesn't that doesn't that give us a much better choice to win in Georgia or much better chance to win in Georgia and you can go deploy resources and assets in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan. The South is on lockdown. Am I off base there? No, you're not. I mean, there are two different ways that people will typically look at this. One is, you know, who in terms of a vice presidential pick can help me expand things uh, demographically. You know, think, you know, women, think African-Americans, think, you know, Hispanics, you know, whatever that might be. Sometimes, you know, region, but I don't think regional picks are as big of a thing as it used to be. Uh, but state picks, though. So you know, you're, you're right on that. Like, so another perfect example would be, say, Virginia. You, know, you got Governor Yunkin in Virginia who flipped that state from blue to red, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, he was having a you know, has great uh, numbers there in Virginia in terms of uh, 
job approval and so forth. I mean, if you put Virginia back on the Republican side again, you know, that, that's another big play. So, so no, you're not off base in that. And those, those things will be, I'm sure, the consideration uh, of whoever the nominee is. And sometimes they think in terms of who would complement the nominee the most in terms of style. So uh, it's an ongoing debate uh, that's been going on for a long time. And it really comes down to, you know, uh, the nominee, where they're most comfortable, what they need the most. Uh, and, uh, you know, what their options are. And I think right now, one thing that I can say for sure is as Republicans, for all those different angles, we've got a lot of options. Uh, you know, you just mentioned one, and Yunkin would be another one. You know, Tim Scott, when you think about African-Americans, Governor Haley, when you think about females, Governor Kim Reynolds up in Iowa, when you think about females. Uh, it just depends. Uh, but it's definitely, definitely part of the consideration. Okay. Tell me as much of the secret plan as you want to tell me where where are you most concerned in playing defense? I mean, is it North Carolina? Is it? I mean, g- give me the state or two that that you that that Trump carried. The Republicans historically have won, but but you see trending in a more difficult way. Well, in terms of trending, uh, I can't really I can't really say uh, that I think there's a problem there. I mean, I, obviously North Carolina was close. We want to make sure we keep North Carolina. Georgia was close. We need to get Georgia back across the line. So, in a way, essentially, we're playing defense here in Georgia. I mean, yeah, we you know we didn't take Georgia last time, uh, but we, we should win Georgia. Georgia. Is but, that fair? We should, we should win Georgia. Georgia. Right. Well, again, they're not, you know, four, four years ago, they weren't playing with a Joe Biden has poll numbers that he does today and the record to go along with it. So we should win Georgia. You know, the places where we regionally speaking, where we need to be thinking about, in my opinion, is the Midwest. You know, you think about and, and plus places like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, and then, you know, around the Great Lakes. Uh, and then think about Arizona and Nevada. Uh, even New Hampshire comes into play there. New Hampshire's one we can pick off. That's just four electoral votes. But you know, hey, four electoral votes matters when the calculation gets this tight. Uh, so, you know, th- there are opportunities out there. And here's one thing I'll point out, by the way, in the le- election last year, 2022, the total number of votes that got cast for Republican members of Congress versus Democrat members of Congress. Republicans were 4 million votes more than Democrats in 2022. And if you apportion those votes on a state-by-state basis, if you were you know, imagining that were the Electoral College, we would have won the Electoral College. So clearly we've got the mechanics, what we need on the ground to get the votes out. Uh, but, you know, again, every campaign stands on its own and has different candidates and a different you know, rhythm to it and so forth. But we've got the raw material there. Uh, but we've just got to come back and bring it back to the table this time. As you put it earlier, bring the party together once this nomination contest is over. Last question. We don't control this at all, but is there a preference? Would we rather run against a diminished Joe Biden, or would we rather run against a non-incumbent, you know, um, uh, I'm thinking about the governor of California. I'm thinking about uh, just whomever Gavin else Newsom, is out yeah. there. Yeah, Gavin Newsom or whomever else is out there. I mean, is that – in other words, is there – Obviously, there's scenario A and scenario B, and I would imagine scenario C. Do we game plan as a party for the likelihood or not that something happens to Joe Biden and we're running against someone else? I mean, you know, it's devil you know versus devil you don't know, or at least that you haven't ran against in, in the mechanics of how that you know operation works. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy for us to run against Joe Biden, a diminished Joe Biden with a success record, quote-unquote, that he's got. Uh, you know, but look, I'd love to have them try to sell California to the rest of the country, too, in the form of Gavin Newsom. 
uh, it'll just be different, and our targets will be different because of the campaign. Uh, you know, it's a lot more difficult question to answer than, say, is Van Halen better than Van Hagar? So, <laughs> and that's an important. Whoever it is, whoever it is there in your office that thinks that Van Hagar is better, you need to tie him to the chair and make him listen to Ice Cream Man on repeat for about an hour and bring him back out and see what he says. Very well explained. Drew, thank you for your time, and I mean that sincerely. But, but listen, you're going to yes, have sir. to agree one of these days to come in the studio and sit down with us because I want to – I mean, I want to Absolutely. do a, a kind of a face-to-face live a podcast. We'll incorporate some podcasting uh, with that. I, I just think you offer so much to our listeners, and, and, I, and I've tried to encourage our listeners to understand, uh, and I'm talking to the Trump voter in particular, and, and I, I make no bones about this. I think the Trump voter has a lot to offer this party, but this party doesn't Absolutely. belong to Donald Trump. It belongs to however many millions of people in America who ascribe to the notions and, and proclivities of our party and we've got to get sure. past this. This uh, it's got to be either or. I mean, it can be a little of both. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Drew. A Appreciate bit it. And a little bit rock and roll. There, there you go. There you go. Barbara Mandrella. <laughs> that was uh, Donnie and Marie. Yeah, Donnie and Marie. Right. Oh my God. Let's don't bring Donnie and Marie into this. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Drew. Appreciate Have it, my man. Right. Yeah. Let, let's not bring. Um, I Don. can't believe you said that, and I can't believe I knew that. Yeah. I can believe you know it. Dancing Dave knows everything <laughs> oh, about. You know, th- th- those sorts of, um, anyway, uh, anyway, hey, let- let's shift gears. And um, one of our Thursday features, anyway. I just think it's interesting to have, you know, a state party chair and someone, and I'll go on the record. I mean, I believe this to be true. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an insider in that world. Um, but, uh, but I think that if the Republicans are successful in 2024, the national chairman of the Republican Party will be Drew McKissick. I mean, did the victor go the spoils? And I don't think Rona has an interest in running again. Uh, now, in all honesty, I think Drew would agree to this. If the Republicans lose in 24, you throw all the bums out. I mean, that's just the nature of, of the business. And, and the party will turn the page from Trump to another, you know, America firster. I have no idea uh, who that is, who that will be. Rev thinks DeSantis should have waited and been the uh, heir apparent to the, you know, the, um, the America first movement. I have no idea how that sorts itself out. But I do believe that if the Republicans win, Drew McKissick will be national chairman of the Republican Party. If they don't lose, uh, throw the bums out, and he'll be one of the bums. Whether he is or not, he'll be one of the uh, perceived uh, bums. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need, from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals, Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC, Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies. Pepsi of Florence also serve brands from other great companies such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including williams Bryce and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center. Uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at MPDC Co-op 
or pdec.com.